Open up your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, open up your Bibles there, if you would. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. The Old Testament starts with Genesis, and 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. It's like the 11th book, I think. There's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 Kings. 1 Kings. If you get to 2 Kings, you've gone too far. That dad joke is in tribute to next week's Father's Day. Anyway, 1 Kings chapter 19. Now, Elijah, was, he was a prophet of God, and God was using him at a time where Israel was backslidden. And so he had just had this kind of contest be, that took place between him and the prophets of Baal. And so he was kind of there, and the prophets of Baal were on the other side. There were a few hundred of them, and Elijah by himself. But, but there was like thousands of, of uh, Jewish people. And, you know, I don't know whether they were like in a stadium. I don't know what it was sitting. But, but Elijah kind of listed out this challenge. He said, look, man, he said, if, if Baal's God, then serve him. But if God is God, then serve him. You know, you know make a decision. Make a decision. And he said this, he said, why do you halt between two opinions? And the word halt there means to kind of limp. It's like having, I don't know if it was a kid, if you ever had like one foot on top of a curb and the other foot down on the road and you're kind of walking like that. Man, it's hard to get just any steadiness or any certainty in your walk or anything like that. And that's what he compared it to. He said, because you're undecisive. And so he challenged him. And the wild thing about it is, is that when he challenged, you know, his own people, not the people of Baal, but his own people, here was their response. They did nothing. They didn't boo him. They didn't cheer him. They just sit there. And I think in, in some ways it's probably kind of similar, typical to what we deal with sometimes in, you know, in the church. I know there was a season in my life certainly that that was the way. That, you know, we're just, just kind of, you know, you know, even if we say, well, you know, my faith's kind of internal. There's, there's nothing there that says that, there's, that he's there. And so he has this great contest. God shows up, reveals himself, validates Elijah's ministry. Well, there was a queen named Jezebel, and she was so angry at what took place. She wrote Elijah a letter and said, man, I'm going to do to you what you've done to them. You know, she said, man, let everything bad happen to me if that doesn't happen. What's wild, he just had this great victory with God, but all of a sudden that's, that caused fear to just be struck in his heart. So he ran. He began to run. Well, and what happens sometimes when we're under pressure and we feel fear? He went from fear to being depressed. So he let go of his servant, he put him in a place, and, and then eventually he took out on his own. And he ended up in a cave by himself. And in that cave, he began to experience some real depression. He began to feel alone. He even said this. He said, God, he said, I'm just the only one that's left. And the Lord said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And so Elijah began to go through this discourse. And then all of a sudden, there was thunder, and there was a fire, and then there was an earthquake, and a, and a wind, and that kind of thing. And, and then it says this, that a still small voice or a whisper. We said this before, that I think it's interesting that God spoke to him in a whisper. Because in a whisper, you have to be close to hear it. It's an intimate thing, an intimate setting. So he had to lean into God in that hard place. And so God began to speak to him and began to deal with him. And he asked him that question again. So that's where we're going to pick up at is in verse 13. It says this, when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak. It was the, hit, the it was a still small voice. When he heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied again, I've zealously served the Lord God Almighty. But the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. Then the Lord told him, go back the same way you came, 
and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive there, anoint Hazael to be king of Aram. Then anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Meholah, to replace you as my prophet. Anyone... I'm sorry. Wi-Fi always helps. Anyway, it says... Um, is my prophet, anyone who escapes from Hazael will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I will preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Now, I want you to see this. He said, he said, the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars, and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one. Everybody say only one. And there's something powerful, and not in a good way, about aloneness. There's something whenever we feel alone or lonely or abandoned. I mean, there's just this sense of what it does to us and how it impacts us and the, and the things that we're impacted by. It, it's a powerful presence. Some of you in here today are probably dealing with that in your own life. You feel this aloneness. You feel alone. And it just causes all of these things in our world. And Elijah, he began to, he started out, dealing with fear, and then after fear, then he went through depression, and he hid. And it's while we feel alone, we begin to go through depression. Instead of doing the thing we need most, which is leaning in, we pull back. And so he had that sense of aloneness. And then there's this other aloneness where sometimes we feel like that the way that we believe in the things that we're doing, that we see the world in us, around us is in utter chaos, and that can create a sense of aloneness like, man, is, you know, is, Lord, does nobody else want to serve you? Does nobody else want to follow you? And so there's, there's those elements of that. And I think it's wild whenever God asked him, he said, what are you doing here? And Elijah's response was, I've served you, God. Your people have broken their covenant with you. They've torn down your altars. They've killed your, your people have done this. The Lord told him, go back the same way you came and then, in other words, God began to give him instruction for his life. I'm not finished with you. I've shared with you uh, my story before, and, and, you know, it's just, you know, through different seasons of life. And, you know, when I was, I was 20 years old, I, I, I was going to college and pursuing an education degree. And then, you know, just had always felt this tug on my heart for ministry. So I went to Bible school. After the, I mean, I, I changed directions and started going to Bible school. And a few months into it, Depression came on me. It was like it was like a blanket, just thunk. And as I've shared with you before, you know, part of the challenge was was that I never thought before that time. I never thought depression was real. I thought people were just feeling sorry for themselves. You know, they just need to snap out of it and go. You know, Come on, life ain't that bad and all that kind of stuff. But the truth of the matter is, is that once I started going through it, I, I began to realize, man, I I had no idea. And so I remember going through that depression and. Um, I was going to Bible school, and I was embarrassed and ashamed. I'm like, you know, I'm a Christian, and more than that, I'm a minister. I'm going into ministry, and ministers aren't supposed to be dealing with this. And so the challenge is I, I didn't know who to talk to about it. And so it created this real sense of aloneness. I remember that I was working to pay my way through school, having to do that six days a week, go to school five days a week. And I mean, I would go there, and internally I was a mess, and sometimes when I'd just go to the restroom and kind of fall apart and get myself back together. But I don't want to tell anybody because ministers aren't supposed to deal with depression. Christians aren't supposed to deal with it. 
And so I was going to class, and at the Bible school I was going to, the, you know, the class numbers were so large and the, and the seats were so tight, they just assigned you seats. So you didn't have any choice of who you sat next to. It's not, I don't know what they did in alphabetical order or whatever, but I mean, it was just, they just had to get everybody in there. And so I was put next to this guy, I had no idea who he was, and I would just kind of show up, I would keep my mouth shut, um, and just take notes. And I just felt so alone. Because I didn't want to tell anybody what I was dealing with, because there was just shame attached to it. And I remember one day, there was, uh, which was unusual, I got there early, that was highly unusual. And, um, and I thought, oh, this is what this feels like. And so, um, and so he and I just started engaging, and I was having a really, really hard day. And it was so hard that finally I took a chance. I thought, I'm, I'm going to share with this guy what I'm dealing with. And I know there's a risk. He may, you know, he may say, well, you have no business being in Bible school. What are you doing? You know, you know, and just really just add to the shame I was already feeling. And I know it's, looking back now, I'm like, it's so dumb to feel shame, but I did. And so I remember I started talking to him, and as we engaged, wouldn't you know it that that guy that I was talking with that was sitting next to me had been sitting next to me this whole time? that he had been through what I was going through at the time. And he was on the other side of it. And he began to encourage me. And all of a sudden, over and over again, he and I would have conversations, and he was okay that I was having the same conversation with him today that I did yesterday. And I was amazed that in this period of just aloneness, dealing with this situation that was just, just felt smothering to me, that God in his sovereignty knew what was going to happen and set somebody next to me. I was amazed that that wasn't the only other person. There were a few other people that as time went on that I encountered that had been through those things. And again, I saw the good hand of God upon my life as I went through this season. And one of the powerful things before I had met that guy that depression had on me was I felt so alone. I didn't know who I could trust to share this with. I didn't want to burden people with my issues or my challenges. But God in his goodness put somebody, other people in my life that could relate to what I've been through and encourage me along the way. Gave me hope. You know, immediately after that conversation, I wasn't better. Matter of fact, the depression was as bad as ever. But I had the sense of, I don't have to do this by myself. It was a powerful thing. On the other hand, I remember... I'd been raised in church and was, you know, just, I went to church, as I've told you, there's our story and that kind of thing, but I was always kind of, my faith was always kind of hidden. I was never that bold person that was, you know, going to stand out. I've often said that we as Christians, we have two choices. We could either be a thermometer, and thermometers just kind of reveal the temperature of the room, or we can be a thermostat, and thermostats change the temperature of the room. And I believe that we can get to a point in our walk with God that just, just by doing the word of God, by loving people, responding in obedience and being who he's called to be, that we can become thermostats in the world that we live in. Well, my faith was hidden. And as I shared with you before, a friend of mine, uh, when I was about 15 or 16, got serious about his walk with God. And he began to take a stand and began to be that thermostat. And I was amazed, man. It gave me courage to step out of the shadows to step out from behind the scenes and begin to express my faith. And what I was surprised is that there were other people that were just like me that were waiting for that moment or that opportunity. Whenever we feel alone, we tend to hide. We tend to hide 
who God is. We tend to hide what he wants to do in us and through us. We tend to not step out there because of fear of what may happen, whether it's persecution, whether it's shame, whether it's, you know, just all sorts of things go through our mind. But I think God, when he shows up, he has to remind us of this. When he told Elijah this, he said, Elijah, you know, his complaint was, I'm the only one left. And God said, no, you're not. He said, there were 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. And God was reminding him, you're not in this alone. For those of you that are feeling alone today, what to do when you're alone? The first thing I want to tell you is such a simple thing, but it's so true. I, I want to tell you this. You're not in this alone. Know that you're not in this alone. Know that. There are other people around you. And it may require you to just be vulnerable. It may require you to lower that wall. It may require you to engage instead of letting that aloneness cause you to hide deeper in that. It may require that. But, but you're not in this alone. You're not in this alone. Number one is this. Know that you're not in this alone. Look at number two. Go with me, if you would, to 2 Kings chapter 6. You're in 1 Kings, the next book over, 2 Kings chapter 6. And there was a guy named Elisha, and he was actually mentored by Elijah. He was mentored by Elijah, then Elijah was taken up into heaven, and then Elisha became the prophet of Israel. And some of the armies that were against the nation of Israel, they, were gonna, they would make plans to attack Israel, and God would reveal to Elisha, hey, here's where they're going to be, and here's what's going to happen. So Elisha would go to the king, and he would say, hey, this is what's getting ready to happen. And this one king, he got so mad, he said, man, surely there's a spy among us. There's got to be a spy in here that's revealing all of those things. And they said, no, your majesty, it's not a, it's not a spy, but there's a prophet in Israel, and he knows exactly what takes place in our conversations here. God reveals it to him. And he said, okay, we got to go get him. So we're going to pick up with that where, that, where that conversation is. So in 2 Kings 6, verse 13, the king said this, go out and find out where he is, the king commanded. So I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back, Elisha is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. When the servants of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elisha. Don't be afraid, Elisha told him, for there are more on our side than on theirs. Then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. You know, right here when you look at this, um, and the, you know, I can imagine the servant, he's either going out to get water, to get his cup of coffee, maybe he's just kind of out there drinking his coffee, and he's like, oh no, this isn't good. And so he comes back in, and he says to Elisha, he's like, dude, there's like a huge army out there. And Elisha's just kind of cool, he's chilling, and he goes, and so he said, you know, don't be afraid and that kind of thing. And finally, he asked the Lord, he said, open his eyes so that he can see. In other words, Lord, I want him to see what you're doing behind the scenes. And one of the things that happens sometimes in our aloneness or the thing that makes us feel alone, that makes us feel like, you know, I have no help here. I'm just in this by myself, is that sometimes we can't always see what God's doing. We can't see what he's doing behind the scenes. And because of that, that we're limited by what we see. We're limited to what we can only see. Well, Elisha had a peace because God revealed to him that, Elisha, there's things taking place here that you can't see with your natural eyes. And he revealed it to him. And I think we have to remind ourselves sometimes, you know, that God's doing something, that he's not indifferent to our prayers. And just because we can't see him working doesn't mean that he's not working. There's, there's something about faith 
2 Corinthians says this, that we walk by faith and not by sight. So in other words, the implication here is, is that sometimes in order to trust God, it means that we can't put our confidence in what only we can see. We have to have our confidence in his promises, in his, in his word, in his faithfulness, in the things that he's done and what he's done in our past. I love when David stood before Goliath. He said, look, man, he said, God helped me kill a lion and he helped me kill a bear. In other words, he's saying, because of my history with God's faithfulness, you're no different than they are. And I think we have to be reminded of those times that God has come through and he's been faithful in our lives. And so, you know, it's such a basic thing, but we have to understand this, that, you know, whenever I feel alone, refuse to be overwhelmed by the things you see. Walk by faith. Have confidence in God. Trust in his goodness. Trust in his promises. It says this, that without faith, it's impossible to please him. I mean, sometimes, you know, I say sometimes, like all the time, I want to see what's going to happen. I want to see it all in advance, how it's going to happen, how it's going to take place. And, you know, I've discovered that God doesn't, I don't know if he ever shows us the whole picture. Because then we wouldn't be walking by faith, we'd be walking by sight. And the way we please him is to trust him when we don't know how he's going to do it. So I'm going to ask you a question. And some of you have never gotten an A on a test before in your life, so I want to help you get an A today. This is going to be like a, like a banner mark. I'm going to ask you a question, and the answer that's obvious is the right answer, all right? I want you to be able to go home today, call your folks, hey, man, I got an A today. You know, I was in church. You know, I, got, I lost a bet. Somebody made me come to church with them, and well, they promised to take me out to lunch. And by the way, preacher gave us a test. I got an A. I know you'd be proud of it. I'm going to, I'm going to have him sign a piece of paper. You're going to hang it on the refrigerator, all right? So, but here's the thing, <laughs> is that... How many of you in here, remember the obvious answer is, how many of you in here have ever felt overwhelmed by circumstances before? Let me see your hand, let me see your hand. Okay, some of you don't have your hand raised up. Okay, so it's gonna, I'm going to ask this again. How many of you, I want you to get an A so badly. I just, I do, you know. I'm going to be able to say, I'm the teacher that gave that kid an A right there. All right, so anyway, how many of you in here have ever felt overwhelmed before in your life by circumstances? Because most of you, some of you still don't have, you're either disengaged or you're lying. We'll talk about that next week. But anyway, so... But yeah, man, we've had those moments where we feel overwhelmed. And it's because we're measuring everything by our own abilities, by our own resources, by our history of what's taken place. I mean, you know, I can imagine that servant, he goes outside, he's like, oh my gosh, you know, Master, look what's going on. And, and he goes, well, there's more of it be with us than be with them. He's like, even in new math, that doesn't work. I mean, so he, was, he could see, he was, but... He wasn't seeing what God was doing. And that's where faith comes in, is we have confidence in what God is doing in our life. I, I remember part of Ashley's story is that, you know, when she was in high school and, and a few years after that, you know, that she, you know, one that she was like the rest of us built for relationship and she wanted friends. And so, you know, there was a time in her life where she felt like that she didn't have any friends in her life. And she was at a moment in her life. She shares this story before where she was just really, I mean, probably in a desperate situation, just kind of felt alone as a woman. Not, you know, she has a good husband. He's a good husband. She has kids that love her, but just the overwhelmingness of momhood and just that kind of feeling like you're doing that without any, you know, female friends to help. And one day her friend Amy shows up at her door. Well, obviously, that was something that God was doing behind the scenes that probably neither her nor Amy were aware of, of what God was doing in this moment. Just because you can't see God working doesn't mean that he's not working. Just because you don't see a way doesn't mean that there's not a way. 
And so here's the thing that whenever you're alone, that one of the challenges is you tend to measure what your life is like based upon only the things you can see. But when you're alone, refuse to be overwhelmed by the things you see. You're like, well, that's easier said than done. I know you've got to look at God's promise. You've got to look at his goodness. You've got to look at those things. You know, David in Psalm 23, he said this, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. You say, well, that's easy to do that you could just say that. Well, then he tells us why. I'll, feel, I'll, I'll fear no evil. I'll not be afraid. Why? Because you're with me. Because you're with me. If you're dealing with loneliness right now or aloneness, if you feel like you're in this all by yourself, just know this, that God hasn't abandoned you or your situation or this place that we live. He's still at work, and he's greater than anything that the enemy could throw at us. He's greater than anything you're facing in your life. He's greater than anything that the world can come against and tries to do against us. He's greater than all of that. And if you're a Christian and a believer, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. The greater one lives on the inside of you. And he's working. He's not left you alone to fend for yourself. He hasn't abandoned these things and abandoned these situations. Jesus came because to rescue humanity, to rescue us, that would turn our hearts towards him and give our lives to him and make Jesus the Lord of our life, then we get to receive him. He did that at a time when the planet looked abandoned, that it was like a lost cause, and yet God shows up in the flesh to rescue humanity. And so if you feel alone today, you feel overwhelmed by the things that are going on in your life, which has caused you to pull back, maybe sent you into a depression, made you want to give up on the plan of God or the call of God. God's still working. He's still moving. There's still things that he's doing in your life today, in your own personal world around that you're surrounded with and the people that you're in. And sometimes, man, our prayer is, is just, God, give me a glimpse. Elisha said, Lord, just open his eyes. And when he saw what God was doing, his situation went from hopeless. I can almost imagine, man, if he's a trash talker, I'd want to go out and go, y'all think you got us outnumbered. If you'd just seen what I saw, you'd be heading for the hills right now. But Elisha was probably way more humble than I am. That probably goes without saying, and so he didn't let him do that. But sometimes just being able to see what God is doing, having an awareness or an understanding of what God is doing in our world, it brings about change. It brings about hope and confidence. We can't always go by what we see. We walk by faith, not by sight. God, I pray today for anybody that's in here that feels alone, that feels overwhelmed. I pray that in this moment that you would just give them a glimpse of what you're doing in their world. Lord, that, that you haven't abandoned them. That they would not just limit themselves to their circumstances or what only they can do. Lord, I pray that you would just deposit hope in their hearts. I remember when I went through that depression and I walked into church one day and they were worshiping God and I was standing out in the lobby. And I, for the first time in a long time, God's presence was there and I sensed hope. I sensed hope. Number two, when you, what to do when you feel alone. Refuse to be overwhelmed by the things you see. Let's look at this last thing. We'll close. Go with me, if you would, to Romans 8. Romans is in the New Testament. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. Romans is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote 
And it's kind of a manifesto of why we're saved by faith instead of the law. I mean, it's just, there's so much in there regarding that, why the cross matters, why Jesus being raised from the dead matters, why we can't be saved by works. But in Romans 8, verse 28, he said this. He said, and we know, everybody say, we know. We know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now, it doesn't say that God causes everything to happen. People say, well, things happen for a reason. Yeah, they do. Sometimes the reason is I was just stupid. And so, but they happen for a reason. But what, what do we do then, man? I mean, we begin to seek God. And if, I, if it's me, then I ask him to forgive me and I get on the right track again and, and he helps me. But as I'm following him, then even the things, for whatever reason, they're there. He makes them work for a reason. There are things, there are things that happened to me years ago that on the day they happened, my heart was hurt. And years later, I look back and I'm like, I'm so grateful you didn't answer that prayer. I'm so grateful that that didn't go the way that I wanted it to go at that time. Because I see that had that happened, that I wouldn't be in the place that I'm in. That your hand has directed me to this place. There are things that it gives us credibility that God takes us through to help other people. I know when I went through depression, I made a decision, Lord, I'll help anybody I can. Because I remember what it was like. The only time I ever heard anything from the pulpit is when people made fun of it. I thought, I won't do that ever, ever. I'll tell my story and I'll tell it again and again. Because I remember sitting in those seats and knowing what it was like to feel hopeless in that moment. And to encourage people to know God's for you. So goes on to say here, he said, who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? What can we say about these wonderful things? If God's for me, who can be against me? Just say that. Just close your eyes and say this. Say, I know, I know. that God, God is for me. Is say it again. Say, I know, I know. that God, God is for me in my circumstances, in my situation, even when I feel alone. I know that God is for me. Man, sometimes we just have to declare that over our life. If you're feeling alone, what to do when you feel alone? Know that you're not in alone. That there are people around you that God has in your life and in your world. Some have been positioned providentially for the season that you're in right now. Know that just because, you know, that you can't be overwhelmed by just the things you can see because there's things that God's doing behind the scene that you don't know right now, you don't see right now. Later on, it becomes obvious when he shows his hand, you're like, oh, that's what you were doing. But just in the middle of it, too, in the middle of this place, man, when you can't see any of that and you don't know any of that, the one thing you can know that as you endeavor to follow him, as you endeavor to serve him, as you endeavor to give your life to Jesus, that even in this hard place to be able to say, God, I know you're for me. I know, I know you're for me. I know I can trust you. I know in that my darkest place when I felt alone that 
that one of the things about it is, is that I felt like God had abandoned me. I felt like he'd forgotten about me. And that was kind of like the crushing blow of all. And the enemy had convinced me that I was in this alone, that there was nobody around me that would understand me. Matter of fact, that he had convinced me that I was in a place that nobody would help me. Matter of fact, they would shame me deeper. And just this feeling that my prayers were deaf to God. The enemy, the devil is such a liar. He's such a liar to who you are to our Father. He's such a liar to who God is and how he sees you. The Lord hasn't abandoned this place. He hasn't abandoned, you know, he hasn't abandoned this, this planet. He hasn't abandoned our nation. He hasn't abandoned you. And he's not just a spectator. He's not just somebody watching passively. He's for you. You know, you say, well, people are always doing dumb things and that kind of thing. Yeah, we are. We, we're doing dumb things. But here's the thing I know is that I begin to embrace that truth and realize he's for me. Then it makes it harder for me to disobey him because I'm like, why would I go against the one that knows everything and he's for me? So I'm going to surrender my will and give my will to him because he's for me. I know God's for you. What shall we say if God is for us? Who can be against us? He that, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? What, what of his goodness and what of his plan will he withhold since he's given us Jesus? Because I know God's for me. He's for you. If you've been dealing with that aloneness, you've been feeling alone, the weight of that, it's caused you to want to leave church, it's caused you to want to kind of, you know, drop away from your family, just kind of isolate yourself. You're not in this alone. And there's things that God's doing as you walk by faith. You may not be able to see him with your eyes, but you just stay faithful and walk with him. And he'll, in time, he'll reveal to you what he was doing behind the scenes. Where you're like, I never knew he was doing that. And hold on to this truth. Embrace it. The God is for you. Who can be against you? I want you to, just, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. Let's spend a moment with God and just in that secret place where just you and him only can talk. Begin to talk to him, especially for those of you that have felt that alone, that fear, that anger, that disappointment. Just over and over again, remind yourself, I'm not in this alone. God's doing things that I can't see. He's for me. He's on my side. Let's spend a moment with God.